we're going to start. Uh, my name is Jason Cartaglia, and I'm with Mike Keller, and we have a very special guest, Bill Muir, also known as Sergeant Vegan, activist, 30 years vegan, straight edge punk rock frontman, combat veteran stationed in Afghanistan, registered nurse with the VA, and an accomplished writer. He's just completed this dystopian activist cool vegan thriller called dead meat so speak for yourself sergeant vegan i can't wait i'm very excited to be a part of this hey uh very very stoked to be on talk about the book talk about veganism with you guys uh big fan of the podcast uh thanks for having me on um let's get into it um, thanks for joining us thank you for having me Yes, yes. Uh, go ahead. Before we get to the book, I, I'm just yeah. really curious how you managed to be vegan in the military. Could, could, could you expound on that? Like, you know, your, your food is not always like your own choice, right? They feed you more or less. Correct? So it is and it isn't. It's not at least. So I believe the Marine Corps can be slightly different than the Army. Mm hmm. And, and you're a paratrooper, Army. right? So you're was, like yeah, in. I was a paratrooper. I was at the 173rd Airborne. So were you in like forward operating bases and stuff like that? Like yes. kind of remote settings? In the middle of nowhere, like you would guess if you've ever watched um, like stuff on what it, what Afghanistan looked like, not on a big base, but in like in the middle of nowhere with some Constantina wire around it. That's what our, my situation was. So the food supply lines were not like as developed as in the like big bases so no food was limited like you guys would guess and weirdly it was actually harder to be vegan while i was in basic training and other training scenarios than it was actually to be in afghanistan and let me let me explain so basic training it's not that they told you hey uh you have to only eat meat and fuck you if you're vegan or anything like that any of our what nightmares would be it was just like, hey, you got 10 minutes to eat, go at it. And this is, I went through basic training in 2003. So if we go through like the, my average, what my meals were while I was in basic training and Fort Benning, Georgia. So uh, the whole hotline from, you know, bacon and eggs to pancakes to whatever, obviously none of that's vegan. So then what are my options? Uh, oatmeal, which lately they've made the oatmeal vegan, which is a gigantic uh, success that I think we should all you know, be stoked about. However, at that point, the oatmeal wasn't vegan either. So I was left with cornflakes or frosted flakes. Well, those they're vegan kind of by default. Um, milk. But, Did you get oat milk? Well, this was 2003. So oatmeal hadn't been oat milk hadn't been created yet. So there wasn't oat milk, soy milk, hemp milk uh macadamia milk there wasn't any of that uh i could have put water on it i suppose uh so i i just ate it dry so i would have dry cereal and after a while it like hurts your mouth if you've eaten too much dry cereal so i would then start putting fruit cocktail on it uh and that doesn't hurt your mouth as much it hurts your stomach because it just doesn't taste good if anyone's listening to this and thinking hey let me try that don't so so okay. bill were you like the only vegan i can't imagine there were yes. any other vegans in, in the army i'm pretty sure that afterward people have done it independently but uh 
but no, it's, it's not something that was super popular. It is gaining popularity as a majority, maybe not a majority, but a, a big percentage of millennials and Gen Zers become vegetarian, vegan. Then, th then there's going to be a certain percentage of us that are going to be presented in the military just by default. So you were vegan prior to enlisting? Exactly. So this is 30 years for me last month. So I had been vegan for 10 years prior to enlisting. The, the short story of how that all happened, uh, I had been living in Japan for about eight years prior to 9-11. 9-11 happened. I was very affected as an expat watching what had happened to our country, the, watching the Twin Towers. And I was like, oh, I got to do something about this. I put on a couple benefit shows with my band. First, we were doing benefit shows for the children whose parents died in the towers. And then after seeing the bombings, I was like, ooh, that's awful too. It's not like something I would be proud of as a, an American. So when then we did a benefit show for this, the children of the survivors, the parents who had perished in Afghanistan. And just thinking about it, I was like, well, I'm, this is an opportunity kind of an opportunity or a moment, I could do what all my other uh, vegan and liberal friends are doing and just be angry at things. And there's always plenty to be angry at, or I could do something. Uh, I, I'm going to have the air quotes to do something because the do something was okay. I just had an idea. I could join as a medic. I think as a, a 20, I guess I would have been 28 at that time. I thought I could do a better job than your average 17, 18 year old, or at least my intentions would be better as someone who very much cares about all life and is a longtime vegan. So I went in and yeah, it was as harsh. It was definitely a harsh reality check coming from living in Japan society for so long, having to get used to living or being around Americans again. And then in that environment, it was it. You know, it was definitely an eye opener. It was definitely crazy. Um, as far as the experience, I mean, you know, it was war. Uh, that's also pretty nuts. And then experiencing that as a vegan with all, you know, the quandaries we have about just about everything. And then on top of that, it's war. Uh, probably one of the stranger decisions I've ever made. I, I definitely put being deciding to be vegan even before, like, I guess when it wasn't cool, as one of the better decisions I've ever made, uh, deciding to join the military to go to war, probably one of the most interesting, I'm going to put it that way. <laughs> I'm not going to say bad, but I'm going to say most interesting. But you went specifically to be a, a medic, not as, you know, to, to help wounded people more so than to fight. Well, yeah, I, I joined specifically to be a medic. So my, my thought was, okay, what my, most of my friends are going to do is just watch the news and, and be angry about it and have these opinions. If I could actually go there, if I could actually go and be in a situation that we might be watching on the news and be there to actually help, you know, I, I kind of, at that time and sometimes today too, I see the world as kind of like this balance of amount of good, amount of bad. If I can kind of cut down the little, the bad just a little bit and add to the good because I thought my intentions would be, would be good for it. Uh, you know, I wasn't joining for college. I wasn't joining because I needed a job. I get, gave up a, a fairly cush job in Japan and I, I already had a degree, so I didn't need the military. Um, I thought, I thought at least intention wise, I was at a hundred percent. 
you know, what was I able to do a lot? I mean, I think so. A lot of the, most of what I did, most of the people I worked on were locals who didn't have any access to medical care whatsoever. We were it. So whether it was bandaging kids who fell into a cooking fire or people that were stabbed by other locals, I mean, that was a majority of what I did. Some of it was obviously bandaging wounded that were shot either by us or by, or by other forces, but most of it was just helping people. And I, I guess if my, I politically had to say anything about that war, I, I think we should have done more of that and less of actual fighting. I think that would have done better for our, our, our brand as Americans. And I think that would have done more to help people, uh, you know, not just the locals, but just, you know, what our place was trying to, quote unquote, spread democracy as well. Well, your military experience kind of goes hand in hand with your new book, because your I, your main you character me. has you know, PTSD, and it's um, even though it's it's set in the future, it's set set at twenty fifty. So, so yep. I mean, obviously, you can you speak a little bit about how you were inspired to write your book and how your um, personal experience affected your writing. So the the book. Dead Meat is set not far enough in the future for it to be untouchable. If if I live to be in my 80s, I'll live through it. So 2050, and that's in 28 years. Uh, and what's scary more than anything is it's meant to be... I wanted to talk about veganism in a different way. This is part of what I'm calling the Vegan Trilogy. First, I wrote a book called Vegan Strong, which is basically a vegan how-to manual, but taking all the propaganda away and making it like a like a vegan field manual, basically. Just everything that you would need, none of the propaganda. Then, then I wrote a book called Adventure of Sergeant Piggy, which is veganism for kids, but without the sad, weepy stuff that I've seen in a few vegan books for kids, which life is awesome and being vegan is awesome and I wanted it to be a great experience. But from my... My third book, talking about veganism, let's face it, there's a lot of negative awfulness, the slaughter industry, everything that we're, as a people, intentionally doing to destroy our planet, to kill ourselves, and kill all these animals for absolutely no reason. And I wanted to reflect that. I wanted to reflect all that because the, my previous two books, I've left it, left all that out. I purposely wanted it to keep it positive, or as the, as the kids would say, PMA uh, in my punk rock years. So I put all that into one spot and that one spot is dead meat. And I thought, I, I, I've long thought that the slaughterhouse industry and animal agriculture is nothing more than the scariest horror movie that human beings could devise. And I thought, you know, if I could make a thriller around that and it, dead meat is, grotesque and horrific it's horror it's meant to be horrible because i and it does i don't i don't think i actually measure up to as awful as the real thing i don't i think if you sit and watch slaughterhouse videos you're not gonna get as awful an experience in dead meat it, i don't think it could be i think it's it's trying to be trying to find a way to kind of talk about those issues without beating it to death and uh, and that's what dead meat is. Yeah, I, I also thought it was a really interesting spin on speciesism 
uh, you know, when I, I, you know, I don't want to get too spoilery, spoilery on it, but I, I definitely think that it's it's a really unique read. My my question though is also, who do you think your your audience is for this? That's a very good question. The vegan hippies, I don't believe, are into it, and I think it probably would most read to someone uh play to someone who's like super stoked about action horror except if they get wind that it's veganism and essentially it is a vegan hippie book they'll be like fuck this shit (laughs) so it's an interesting thing and the main character one of the main three main characters is a veteran but then veterans if they again if they hear that it's veganism and then i'm basically like save the world we need to care about climate change and animals uh i you have a good point there. Uh, what is the what is the audience? Hopefully, people that want a good action horror, a good yarn. Unfortunately, it is very topical. So I I would love it to be more Star Wars and having nothing to do with our what's going on in our country. But as you know, rights get stripped from people, and as America becomes more of a handsmaid tale for real, unfortunately, my book becomes more topical. It wasn't meant to be that topical. It just uh, unfor- I keep saying, unfortunately, I mean, I would, I would, my vision of America would be the freedom that we talk so much about having, just make it real that uh, there should be no limit on women's rights and, and other rights. And animal rights should be very important too. You know, I, I definitely think that someone that's, you know, really into like kind of that horror dystopian genre could get into it and be fascinated by all the ideas and never even think that it's a vegan book. Oh yeah, no, it's intentionally, originally when I was writing it, I had lots and lots and lots of exposition that talked about veganism and blah, blah, blah. I did cut a lot of that out. So it's not until sometime, you know, you get 15 pages in until you're like, wait a second here, what's this about veganism? You, you don't, get that originally you you originally get you think you're reading black hawk down but maybe in the future and i the reason only reason why people might get it is some of the weapons don't exist so it's written kind of kind of like nerdy like call of duty ish but these are not weapons that exist now i've never used them nor you know do they exist it's and it's intentionally meant to be that but but then I have stats for them and stuff like that. So someone's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe not knowing that this is way in the future. And then, then we hit them for a loop and then it's, oh, it's basically vegan propaganda. But <laughs> well, <laughs> And Soylent Green-ish. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't want to give away too much also, but it, it seems as though the the time for veganism in this book has already passed. <laughs> like we've, we've moved on to the next stage in uh, consumption. <laughs> And, and thank you very much for mentioning Soya Green. I remember seeing Soya Green, and I think the connection to Soya Green with my book is in Soya Green, there's this absolute horror. Soya Green is people. But with my book, it's like people have already accepted, oh, yeah, yeah, we're eating animals. Uh, and no more animals? Okay, we're eating people. Uh, with the just kind of a nonchalant, like, oh, of course we have to murder something to eat it. The, the hook with my book, and I don't think it's giving too much away because someone could just flip over the back cover and read that, <laughs> is there's plenty of plant food. You have Beyond Meat, you have Impossible. It's not like we've outlawed any of them. It's just the idea that, that people have to keep eating some form of meat 
and then it has to actually come from an animal. And if there's no other animals or insects left, then we're, we're hurting people or, you know, be it like often little children because they're most like veal or we're drinking, you know, human women milk uh, or we're, you know, we're slaughtering, slaughtering people like they would uh, a pig or a cow, which there's going to be pushback and people are going to say, oh, that's some crazy stuff. Well, I would say, how is that any different than now? There's so many freaking things you can eat. And by you, I mean all of us, a bazillion things that don't cause the ecological damage and don't cause all this harm to animals and our health. And yet people are still choosing that every single, sorry, motherfucking day. People are making those choices. And that's why I don't think my, my, my leap in dead meat where people choose to, to continue this awful process, but in a Holocaust slaughterhouse way with people, I don't think that's a gigantic leap. I, and it sucks that it's not. It really does suck. I wish there was, I wish in any way possible, people could just be like, oh yeah, hold on a second. I don't have to contribute to all this awful. I could just eat, eat vegan. I mean, I made a, a video uh, today about how Beyond Meat orange chicken is now at Panda Express. I had like, it yesterday. Yeah, if we made it any easier, like some some hippie, and I say hippie because I my band was playing out uh, a year ago, and this lady she had like an om shirt and patchouli and the whole. I think she had an aura, and she was like she. I was probably wearing the exact same vegan shirt, which for you guys is, uh, and she said, "Oh, vegan! I wish I could be vegan. It's so hard." I said, "In 2020." or whenever with 2019, the only way it could be any easier to be vegan is if someone held me in my arm, in their arms, like a, like a, like a baby and chewed my food and spit it into my mouth. So I wouldn't have to go through the work of chewing it. Like I, anywhere you go in LA or, or, and I've been coast to coast or in any state, there's going to be vegan food and it's going to be super easy. And there's a certain point where like, yeah, the vegan tax that annoys the heck out of me. I think that's a barrier. I think when they charge us extra, when a, a vegan ice cream is $3, $4 more than a, than an animal based ice cream, that kind of stuff is bizarre and it annoys me. But eventually once they get down that subsidy, once they take out the subsidy and then either the prices are the same or as it should be, the plant-based one is cheaper. Things are going to change. Should be. So what are um, some tips from your field manual that you would like to impart tips from the field manual number one don't overthink stuff i think for the longest time and to be fair it's kept this this kind of thing making veganism difficult has made it so that people can keep putting out another vegan book every single year and keep making money off of it keeping these publishers in business and i get that as somebody who would love to make money like to actually live off my books and not have to go uh work in a depressing hospital, I, you know, I get it why people want to do this, but veganism is easy. All you, you need to get about somewhere between 2000 and 3000 calories a day, depending on what your lifestyle, depending on how big you are, depending on you're a male or female, that's about it. Macros, we can talk about the importance of protein, carbs, and fat. Just, you know, it's not that, that's not that difficult either. Variety of sources that at one point they said that you need to get protein from these different plant sources and you mix and match 
they made that difficult too. And and that was actually some well-meaning stuff, thinking that, hey, maybe the protein from grains versus protein from soy versus protein from rice versus, you know, maybe that mattered. It doesn't. As long as you get enough protein, as long as you get enough carbs, as long as you get enough fat, in, and, and basically enough calories, you're good to go. And making it more complicated than it, than it has to be is a waste of everyone's time. Vegan is for everyone. This idea that uh, of this magical, what happens if you're on an island scenario that, that trolls have loved to put memes about, this doesn't exist. Anybody who can hear this should be vegan. If you can get a podcast, you can find vegan food. Now, there might be like some people in native populations or Inuits that can't be vegan, so what? They're, let them not be vegan. That's like 0.1% of people. That's not going to make a significant problem. They only show up in arguments. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. This is if you live in and a And they major, don't have factory farms either. <laughs> yeah, they're not factory farming. They're not going to they're not going to significantly add to this problem that we have of of climate change. And they're not what they're doing is not as inhumane as just buying uh, food that's been processed through a slaughterhouse. And uh, so veganism is for everyone and it shouldn't be expensive. Yes, some of these uh, high priced vegan ice creams or, or whatever, it, it could be pricey. Uh, we have a, a chain actually near you guys too, grocery outlet. You can find vegan stuff for super cheap. None of it has to be expensive. And I think as it becomes more and more popular, the prices will go down and more and more people will be vegan. Well, you know, also with the Beyond Chicken, the idea of accessibility is important. It's huge. I, to, to your point, when people say, uh, what is that cooked on in uh, Panda Express? Is it made near something? Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't support it. I'm, my thought would be, okay, if you go home and you get a meal made by your mom or dad, in an expressly non-vegan kitchen, you're doing the exact same thing. And when those people will say, oh, I took a liberation pledge, I wouldn't eat with other people who aren't vegan. I'm like, we are social beings. Veganism is best spread by being around people saying, hey, this is what I'm eating, this is what I'm doing, and showing it to be what it is. Vegan food is delicious, it's not weird. And the, the weirder we act about this, about any of it, when people see us, they're going to be like, oh, I roll. This is what veganism. No. Like, and to be fair to the whole situation, I mean, I'm sure for the first five years, minimal, I was vegan. I was one of those fucking weirdos, too. I mean, I'm, was a, I'm still a punk rock kid, but I was definitely full out punk in my 20s. So I would have done all of the cringy stuff that anyone accuses other people of doing. So I, I get it. Like, I get the, you know. You're taking a hard stance on everything. It's just not helpful. What's more important, what would do better for the animals, and if that's the main reason why we're doing it, we got to think about it. Instead of trying to get uh, a small amount of people to be so pure, it's better to get a large amount of people who do better. And that's yeah. what, I mean, that's what I try to do with my platform, especially adding the military, the Hoorah America stuff. You know, and, and try to put this in and frame this as, hey, this is better for the planet. It's better for our health. It's definitely better for all my patients uh, if they would just go plant-based. We know that eating animal protein causes cardiovascular disease. And then instead of taking all these statins to reverse it or to stop, why don't you just not eat the animal protein to begin with? It's not like it's oxygen. 
just one man's opinion. But. Oh no, no, <laughs> I, I'm I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, I three I, men's I, opinion. I I mean, I I'm constantly getting chastised. Mm. Like 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 today, I, I in fact in fact I, I I woke up like really early in the morning and I was reading a comment where someone was saying, "Oh, all you care about is is doing all these kind of like, you know." outrageous things and gaining followers why don't you support the people that that followed you from the start and i'm thinking to myself like yeah i'm trying to get followers i'm getting trying to get people involved in the vegan world i'm trying to get people excited about vegan food it's like what do that's they mean my by outrageous? outrageous well i i make crazy things on online like you know vegan turkey legs he and... plays with his food <laughs> how's any of that i've seen the videos yeah yeah making a vi- making something that is delicious you know, it, it, I, I understand if I made a granola bowl, here's my granola bowl. I'd get like maybe 10 people would see it. You know, nice. Bowl. I construct <laughs> a, a vegan turkey leg that takes like, I don't know, maybe 50 different steps and is, you know, you know, is and people get excited about it. Also, too, you know, uh, back on the Beyond Chicken, you know, I always think also from the perspective of like a teenager and they're in some town where there's no vegan options. And now they can go to the mall, get some Beyond Chicken. It's well, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's inspiring, exciting. And, and, and also that's what drives me to keep creating, knowing that there are young people that are inspired by what I do and what you do. And, and the, the idea that we can keep on spreading the good word you know and not and not 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 negativity because because negativity just makes you retreat and hide yeah when people get attacked even even with the meat eaters and the trolls if you attack someone the first thing you're going to do is cover up you're going to defend yourself when you're doing that you're you're potentially losing an audience you're potentially losing the chance to interact with that person. Uh, a thought came to me since you mentioned the mall. Isn't it crazy that just this generation of vegans, like if you went vegan in the last five years, you're, oh, fuck, man, there's no options. I'm going to have to have a Beyond Burger. Is for my generation of same thing, I have to eat PBJs for dinner. Like, and kind of similar to how, you know, there's some grumbling about uh, the government helping people with their student loans. I say, hell yeah. I say, hell yeah, to make it easier to be vegan. I, I, don't, I think any step we can make it easier to do the right thing, we should. And when people hear us talk about how, how it was back in my day, stuff like that, that should only be reference for it's so much better now and not what veganism is. Because veganism is... It's a joy. There's nothing, nothing less than that about it. I mean, it can be inconvenient sometimes, but sure. I mean, doing the right thing is going to be inconvenient. Sometimes you find money on the ground and you have a name and an address with it. Yeah. It's inconvenient to go track that person down and give them their money back. It's still the right thing to do and you should fucking do it. Uh, you know, do you feel like you have to sometimes hold back a little bit? not to alienate part of your audience? Uh, yes, because I, I think my audience is like a weird, I know it, coalition of types, 
I know when I when Trump was around and I would post my usual very anti-Trump stuff, I would get I, I mean, and with the COVID stuff, because as a non-crazy person who works in healthcare, I mean, I I I believe stuff like science is important and I want to save people. So there was a lot of vegans who were like, oh, veganism, uh, you know, will save me. I don't need to wear a mask or uh, anti-vax you know, we'll vaccinated. And I'm like, you fucking no, that's not how that works. Like this is anyway. So I, I if by <laughs> saying exactly what I thought, uh, I definitely lost a lot of people. It went, and it was a weird coalition of the crazies, you know, whether it was anti-Trump, anti-fascist stuff. I think people who were like, you know, very not anything that I would believe in, but for some reason they happen to be plant-based. I lost, I mean, I, I there was a couple of days my numbers ticked down, like I like went down by a hundreds where, because I put something about Trump or something about like, hey, how about, how about you guys just wear a mask if you're sick? Like, I don't know why this is a controversial, you know, opinion for anybody, but people were just like, oh, this isn't exactly what I want to hear. I want to be in this echo chamber. And Sergeant Vegan's telling me, I mean, especially my my name, like, I don't know why someone would think Sergeant Vegan, I'm going to come up and give him a cuddle. Like, I mean, you know, I originally I thought, hey, wouldn't it be funny if there was like a G.I. Joe character like Sergeant Slaughter, but it was vegan. And I was in the military at one point when I was after the, the active duty, I went back in the reserves. At one point I was doing a I think I was doing YouTube videos under Sergeant Vegan as well, like calling myself that because I originally I got the name. I I, I was uh, in with a, a Sergeant Vega and I looking at his name, I was like, I could just put a, an N there and I could, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a crazy world. OK, so we got through all that vegan stuff. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Till I Die, oh, your band. Yeah. And uh, Final Fantasy and that awesome song I heard, Otherworld, which is like, I mean, you have such a great vocal range and you're, you're just like, it's incredible. Well, thank you. If, if you enjoy screaming, growling, <laughs> uh, then that's, then, you know, that, that stuff. I, so at that point, I'd been living in Japan for a couple of years. I was in, a, I was in two or three bands and... Uh, I was, we were, I was, we were putting together the demo tape and this is uh, long enough ago that it, it wouldn't have been a demo CD or a band camp. It was a demo tape, like actually cutting the inlet for it and then having to fold it and then put like a sticker on the, on the tape. And somebody, a friend of a friend, it turns out worked for Squaresoft, the guy that wrote uh, Otherworld. And we ju they just happened to bump into us when we were putting the demo tape together at this curry restaurant. And I believe it was Shibuya. And the guy was looking for someone, someone different to do the vocals for that. And I was like, hey, could I have a demo tape? I said, sure, that'll be 200 yen. So I charged, charged this guy for the demo. $20, right? Around 20 uh, bucks. 200 yen was, was two bucks. Two bu Oh, okay. 200 yen. I'm sorry. I thought it was 2000 yen. No, no, no. But was, <laughs> well, I mean, I was so like, matter of fact, like $2 is nothing. Uh, there's absolutely no reason I needed to charge him, but I, we were like all, all business. So I was like, man, to like, 
I was like, these tapes cost me at least 50 yen, like 50 cents a piece. Like I gotta recoup my cost, some kind of nonsense like that. Uh, and then he listened to it. They, they had me, I got an email maybe four months later. Do I want to come to square soft for a, a, for an interview? How many yen did you charge for that? For the interview, <laughs> the interview was free, but being typical to, to me, I showed up with like a band shirt, like cut off like camo shorts and a skateboard for this interview, which if you can imagine Square Enix in, uh, I guess this would have been, where in the Yamanote Alarm was this? I don't remember, but it was, it was a huge complex. And it was this, well, I guess it, when, when I look over my whole life, this will probably have been a defining moment and to show up for the defining moment, basically like looking like I should be at a skate park or like behind a building, like practicing some ollies, uh, you know, I really could have worn anything. And I wore, I mean, I guess it worked the thing that I needed to wear because they ended up hiring me for the job. But I mean, I looked like, I mean, what I was, I looked like I was ready to go to, into a mosh pit. Uh, and they were very surprised that I would show up for something so formal like that. And then they played me the song, which at that point was very rough. And they asked me what, so the, first they asked me, uh, have, do you have desire to work with a major label? I said, no. I said, fuck all that. I'm like DIY till I die. And they're like, oh. And they're like, well, let me play the song. And they're like, what do you think of this? And I said, not much. Which I think was not the thing I should have said either. You know, it's just one of those things that uh, I'm, I'm a little bit better about, you know, kind of like diplomacy, diplomacy and doing like th thinking big picture now. But then I was like, as a 20 something year old, I was like, you know, whatever, man, I'm going to do exactly what I want all the time. And and that's how it is. But somehow they liked uh, like well, what I could do. I don't think most any other Japanese musician or other Americans, at least in Japan, were doing a, a similar thing, which was basically, you know, wannabe hate breed kind of stuff. It just wasn't something that entered into the, you know, popular opinion, but that's really what I was into. That's what Till I Die was all about. Like super heavy, but positive, change the world lyrics, very vegan you know, straight edge kind of stuff. Very youth of today. What would it have been like? We would have been like a youth of today, throw down, earth crisis kind of thing. Was straight edge a thing back then? I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was as big as it is now, I would think. Straight edge a thing in Japan? In Japan. So, but it oh, was, no. yeah. It's, no, not yeah. at all. Yeah. Like, probably, arguably, one of the weirder ideas I could have would be like, I'm going to go to Japan and start a straight edge band. Like, I... Like zero, zero interest in singing about not smoking or drinking or doing drugs and like, like, hey, let's make the world a better place for the animals. No, I mean, kind of like America, it, when Earth Crisis was, yeah, Earth Crisis was around when, when my band was around and we were very similar to that in tone and message and Earth Crisis, there were some kids that were really into it. Uh, I would say maybe 5% of kids were really into it. In the hardcore scene, we, there were a bigger representation of us, but uh, a majority of people that Earth Crisis played to, even when they played Oddfest, were like, what the fuck is this? And which, I, I mean, credit to Earth Crisis to go out and talk to people 
we're going to have that attitude and stand firm about it. And I think they did more for veganism really than almost any other band or any other entity did, you know, confronting people with, with the truth and telling it like it is. Well, I think we've done it. So Bill, what are your socials? How do we connect with Sergeant Vegan? Thank you very much for that question. I'm easily findable on the internet at sgtvegan.com. That's sergeantvegan.com. SGT underscore vegan on Instagram. SGT vegan also on uh, the Facebook. The brand new book is Dead Meat. I think you have to search for it with Dead Meat Bill Muir because uh, I guess there's a lot of zombie stuff with it and not like, you know, obviously Dead Meat. It's about the play on the you'll be dead meat, ha ha ha, you know, like kind of like some kind of action movie. But in that, you know, if you eat meat, it's basically dead meat. And we'll put the Amazon link in our. I love it. I appreciate it. Podcast thing. So thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's been fun. 